Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We read in Psalm 22 in our scripture reading, verse 24, For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you already for the opportunity this morning to sing praise under thy holy name. We thank you for the love that you've bestowed upon us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for loving us first, that we might be enabled to love thee. My Father, I pray now that, Lord, you'd speak to us through thy word. I pray the Spirit would guide and direct us into this most amazing truth recorded in Matthew chapter 9. Lord, how I pray that though we're very familiar with this context, I pray that, Lord, you'd help us to see it this morning in a more amazing light. Help us to be stirred in our hearts by what our Lord exhorts his disciples and every true believer unto. Help us, we pray, that you'd be honored and glorified in all that's said and done, for we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Amen. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You know, over the past 40 years, I can truly testify that God's word has been a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And though my feet have often strayed like a lost sheep, the Lord has always sought this servant. He's bound up my wounds, and he's strengthened me by his grace and his word. The Lord is truly faithful to his people. And although all scripture is worthy to be praised and cherished, Yet there are certain scriptures which have accompanied me over the years which have become very close companions, as I'm sure the same is with you. Not unlike the physical monuments God would have the patriarchs erect that they might not forget His great mercies and mighty works, these scriptures are like scriptural monuments of memories. Remembrances of God's rich mercies and grace which He has shown me in Christ Jesus. 
And this passage of Scripture this morning certainly ranks amongst my most cherished companions over the years. I have preached often on its text, and each and every time I've preached it and or read it, the Lord continues to reveal something new about this passage of Scripture. The Word of God is such a blessed and glorious gift to God's people when God Himself speaks to us through it. It's not merely words on a page, but God makes it alive to our hearts and our minds. James truly was inspired when he said, Receive the engrafted Word, which is enabled to save your souls. And such is the Word of God to every true believer. For its divine truths have not only often renewed and ravished my heart and affections for Christ and His amazing love and compassion for my own soul, but also greatly inspired me to emulate and follow His example in preaching that glorious gospel which once so long ago called me out of sin and darkness and into His glorious kingdom of love, mercy, and grace. You say all from these three verses? All from these three verses. I believe one of our problems today as God's people is we've lost that first love for the gospel. Do you remember the gospel? The first time God the Holy Spirit enabled you to understand it and receive it and embrace it? Do you remember the gospel when it ravished your soul with the love of Christ, His mercy and His grace? Too often we forget that first love of the gospel. And I believe as God's children, like an old preacher once said, we should never stray far from the shadow of Calvary. But always stay within its shadow. Always surveying the wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died. Always remembering that glorious day when God, by Christ Jesus, through the Spirit of God and the Gospel, enlightened us and translated us from the kingdom of darkness unto the kingdom of His own Son. The true child of God never wearies or is never bored in hearing the Gospel. For every time we hear the Gospel, it reminds us of that day when Christ opened our eyes that we might see His glorious mercy and love on Calvary. And beloved, it's that same love for the Gospel which should inspire us to go out and preach it to others, being reminded of how gracious God was to our own souls. I believe many Christians have forgotten the gospel, and therefore they've lost the zeal and love to preach it to others because they themselves have become cold and indifferent to that gospel which once ravished their souls in the love of Christ. There are many reasons today why God's people feel compelled to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some, unfortunately, for fame and applause, others out of a guilty conscience because people sway them to. Still some in hopes of gaining favor with men in Christ. 
Beloved, yet like all things concerning Christ, especially in the preaching of the gospel, it is, listen to me, it is in the likeness of his own love, compassion, and pity that he himself expressed as he walked amongst men that he would have us herald such a glorious message of salvation by grace. We are to emulate our Lord Jesus Christ's compassion for the lost when he walked amongst men. Anything short of that, we're not laborers in God's harvest. We're laboring for our own selfish desires and needs. Our Lord said in John chapter 17, He said, chapter 17, verse 18, As thou, as thou hast sent me, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so, likewise, have I also sent them into the world. Just like you sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. How did God send His only begotten Son into the world? In what manner did God the Father send His only begotten Son into the world? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. As Thou hast sent Me... Even so have I sent them. It was God's love for the world that moved God to send His only begotten Son into the world, not to condemn it, but through Him that He might save the world. Beloved, let me remind you this morning that this divine love has not changed. John 3.16 is not past history. John 3.16 is ever-present because we have an ever-present Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. This love that God, this mood motivated God to send His Son into the world has not changed. But it has been infinitely intensified before sinful man by the sacrifice of Christ. Let me say that again so that you won't misunderstand it. Not that God's love has ever changed or got weaker or better, but it has been greatly or infinitely intensified before sinful man by the sacrifice of Christ. When I survey the wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died, it is intensified before sinful man. Yet sinful man has a problem seeing that. Sinful man has a problem identifying that. There's only one way that sinful man can see that. It's by the preaching of the gospel. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but our text is, though there's elements of the gospel throughout our text, our, our Lord emphasizes the manner in which we preach or labor in this harvest. You say, preacher, does that play a role in our preaching of the gospel? Of course it does. I like what George Whitfield said. He said, we need, we need men who preach Christ-felt preaching. 
We need men preaching Christ who know what it is to preach Christ because they've experienced the infinite grace of God in Christ themselves. They're not preaching some foreign idea. They're preaching something they know personally of themselves. And when you know the love and mercy and grace of Christ and you understand what He drew you out of and you see sinners, you too will have compassion and pity on sinners as Christ did on you. We've lost much of that in today's gospel. It's mechanical. It's lifeless. In our text, Christ Himself, and we'll see that, I hope and pray God give me the grace to show that to you, but Christ, in our text, He's strongly exhorting us to not only be laborious in the fields, but His own example is exhorting us how we must labor. Preaching the gospel is no easy task. Listen to the Lord's words. The laborers are few. Laborers are few. Read the text before our passage of Scripture, which we might look into next week. Our Lord was doing a lot of things before He comes to verse 36. He was healing the people. He was helping the blind. He was doing miracles. He was healing the diseases and sickness. He was laboring and laboring. And then He comes and sees the multitude and says, The harvest is plenteous. There's many. It's big. Yet the laborers are few. If you know anything of the life of Christ as He walked amongst men recorded in the Gospels, you know our Lord was laboring constantly. He's the Son of God. Preaching the Gospel is no easy task. And though the harvest is plenteous, it takes labors. This divine love that motivated or moved God to send His only begotten Son into the world has not changed, but it has been intensified in the eyes of sinful man by His own sacrifice. And now this glorious gospel has been entrusted unto them who have themselves been called into His glorious grace and love by Christ. Have you ever considered that verse when the Lord told His disciples that you shall do greater things than I? Amazing passage of Scripture. What could He have meant? Greater miracles? Of course not. Walk on water? Of course not. Raise the dead? Of course not. There's no greater work than the souls of men being saved by the gospel of Christ. That's the greater work, He's saying. Christ has committed entrusted this work under His people. If then we have truly come to know the great love of God in Christ Jesus, then let us proclaim, proclaim like Christ as He walked amongst men that same glorious gospel. It is Christ we must emulate. It is Christ we must imitate. It is Christ we must follow when preaching unto the multitudes. Look at Matthew chapter 9 in verse 36 again. Let us begin and see what this text has to tell us that we might be more better prepared to preach the gospel as Christ did when he walked amongst men. Listen carefully, dearly beloved, and may God be gracious to us 
verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes. This is an amazing statement. Because if you know anything about Christ, the deity of Christ, the Godhead, this statement should be just as amazing to you as it is to I. The Bible says when he saw the multitudes. Not that Christ was up to this point or ever unaware or unknowing of the multitudes. For being God himself, whose eyes, says Proverbs, are in every place beholding the evil and the good, nothing or no one could ever evade or elude his attention. Then why would the Holy Spirit put these words when he saw the multitudes? By these words, Scripture would have us to understand that Christ, what Christ saw was something very distinct and worthy of our utmost attention. The Holy Spirit of God would have us say, have us understand, look at what Christ is seeing. Christ knows all things. He knows the secrets of every man's heart. Why would the Holy Spirit emphasize that he saw the multitudes? Because the Holy Spirit would have us to understand what Christ saw. Something that is very distinct and worthy of our attention and something which I believe many believers today have become blind to or have never seen. It's a sight which, by His grace, Christ would have His disciples see. What did Christ see? <laughs> he saw the multitude. How did He see the multitude? Listen. But when he saw the multitudes, when he saw them, what he saw moved him with compassion. Listen to the words of Scripture. What he saw moved him with compassion. Why? What did he see? He saw the multitude as fainted, scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. This is what Christ saw. And the Holy Spirit would have us understand exactly what he saw. Now again, I want to emphasize this. This wasn't for Christ's benefit. It's not as though Christ was doing all this work and then suddenly stops and looks at the multitude and says, Wow, now I see them. They're like sheep. No, this is for our benefit, for our learning. The Holy Spirit wants us to see what Christ saw. Because if we don't, we'll never have a compassion to preach the gospel. We'll never have a yearning to tell others about Christ. We'll never know what it is to preach. He's not specifying the gospel message in our text. He's declaring unto us the laborers who proclaim that gospel. You see, there's, there's a lot upon those who proclaim it. Amen? Remember in the Old Testament, the Lord was talking, God was talking about the priests and how they should be sanctified and holy. And He said, when you come into my presence, it's the same thing with the gospel. It depends greatly on how we as God's people present the gospel. You can't just go out and say, Jesus died on the cross and you need to repent and be saved and, and know God. Christ didn't come into the world with that kind of attitude or carried Himself like that, did He? Christ was always moved by compassion with the multitude. He was always moved by their distress, by their deplorable, wretched condition. He was always moved by the sinful state that they were in. He was always moved by their wretchedness. 
Our Lord is even found at one place in Scripture weeping over the death of a loved one. Even on his way to Calvary, when people were weeping for him, he would say, Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ was always moved. He was always moved by man's deplorable and wretched condition. I'm telling you, this is something that people, especially those who believe the doctrines of grace, sometimes tend to excuse away or justify as being something that's uh, emotional, too fleshly, rational. Let me tell you something. Leave Scripture alone. Let Scripture speak for itself. Christ was moved with compassion. Because he said he saw them as fainting, being scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. That was a deplorable condition, and it moved our Lord with compassion. When we preach the gospel, if we're not moved by that same compassion, we're not worthy of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you hear them this morning without Christ. I hope you listen very closely this morning because Christ sees your condition. He knows the deplorable state you're in. Even though you might not recognize it, even though it's oblivious to you, I'm telling you Christ sees your deplorable condition without Him. You're a sheep with no shepherd. How deplorable could that be? You're faint and you're scattered abroad. You do not realize that. You do not see that, but He does. Aren't you glad Christ seen that in us as His people? Aren't you glad that Christ seen us in our deplorable condition, though we didn't recognize it, though we was oblivious to it? And yet Christ shows up with the gospel and preaches it, opens up our eyes, and we see ourselves for the first time. And it's like, oh, well, the wonderful mercy. This is what John Newton meant when he said, by grace I was, I was, uh, by grace I feared, and from my fear I was relieved by grace. Why? That's what grace does. It shows us our deplorable condition. And in that deplorable condition, when we see ourselves wretched before God, then grace reveals us unto the love and mercy of Christ. By grace, my heart feared, and by grace, my was feared relieved. What did Christ see? He saw the multitude as they truly were. He did not see them with eyes of contempt or disdain or disgust. And that amazes me because we're talking about God, the thrice holy God. We're talking about God manifest in flesh, looking upon a multitude of sinners. He doesn't see them with contempt, disdain, or disgust, but the Bible says with compassion. I am no way, no manner. I have no desire or intention to justify something in God's Word merely to fit somebody else's theological ideas. I'm telling you, Christ was moved by compassion. Oh, wait a minute. It's only the elect. No, Christ saw the multitudes, was moved with compassion on them. They're so afraid they're going to offend God's sovereignty that they don't let God's Word speak clearly. They've got to twist it, fit it into their theology. Let me tell you something. It says that he saw the multitudes. He didn't say he saw only the elect. He saw the multitudes, all of them. He saw all of them. 
What do we do with the gospel? We go out and preach it unto every creature. We preach them about the love and mercy and grace in Christ. We speak it and preach it and proclaim it to every creature. Knowing that God will call His own, but we preach it to every creature as though all creatures were of God's elect. Well, you can't do that. Why can't I? Christ did. Man has become so prideful in his knowledge of God these days that he thinks he can decide and, and decipher who the elect is and why they are the elect. You preach the gospel, dearly beloved. You preach the gospel to every creature. You leave such things to God. Christ is our example. He saw the multitudes. He was moved. He saw them with compassion. Why? This is very simplistic and yet majestic. Why did he have compassion on them? Because he saw that they were fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Listen to these words of Christ. Listen to these words in Scripture. He was moved by compassion because he saw they were fainting and scattered abroad as sheep with no Shepherd. Christ, beloved, is not only aware, for the scripture says, when he saw, he's not only aware, but he's moved with compassion concerning sinful man's wretchedness and misery which sin has wrought upon him. Listen to me, say that again. Christ is not only aware, for it says when he saw, but he's moved with compassion concerning sinful man's wretchedness and misery which sin has wrought upon him. And I know there's a lot of people that believe in the doctrines of grace which would call that, cause, call that statement heretical and unscriptural. But I'm telling you, I'm simply reading scripture. Psalm 102, verses 19 and 20 says, For he hath looked down from the height of the sanctuary. From heaven did the Lord behold the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed to death. That's God's grace. Dear friend, if you're here without Christ, you might not be aware of your condition, but Christ is. He's aware of it. And you need to listen real closely. He's moved with compassion because of it. Are you listening to me? He's moved with compassion because of it. How could you ignore such a glorious gospel message such as that? Oh... My friend, this is the gospel. Don't you remember, dearly beloved, those of you that are truly saved, don't you remember that's exactly how the gospel <laughs> first shone upon your hearts? Christ made you aware, not only of your sins, but he made you aware that he has compassion on you. With cords of love I shall draw them. How did Christ draw us? Was we kicking and screaming and dragging our feet, saying, I don't want to be saved? He made us willing of ourselves. 
I still remember how wretched I felt the first time I saw myself. First time I saw myself as God sees myself, I was wretched and I was poor and I was miserable and I knew as a sinner I'd done so many wicked and evil things in my life. God would be justified to throw me into hell. And yet at that same moment, I hear the voice of mercy and grace in scriptures telling me that God loves me in spite of that. God has compassion on me and that Christ has died for me. And I'm telling you, when I heard that, when I understood that, that Christ has died for me, he's died for me? That's the gospel. And then you have people who are converted, hopefully, maybe, begin to learn the doctrines of grace, and then they have problem preaching that same message as though they're going to offend God, make Him too emotional, too weak, too human. But when they saw it, they embraced it. When they saw it, it was like, oh, God loves me. This is wonderful. This is great. God has compassion on me. Why do you think God entrusted us with that message? Who else could preach such a message besides those who have been recipients of such grace? You understand why he entrusted it unto us? Now you go out. As you've sent me into the world, so I send him in the world. Mankind is in all true reality, listen to me, our neighbors. You know that? Man was made in the likeness of God. If we do not have sympathy and pity and compassion as Christians on those who know not Christ, we know nothing of the gospel, and I believe nothing of Christ. He looked down from the height of his sanctuary. Isaiah 59.16 said, And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no transgressor or intercessor. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. So by his own right arm. How can you ignore such a message this morning of grace and mercy? Do you see now why the Scripture says if you reject this knowledge, if you reject this truth, if you reject the gospel, it would have been better that you were never born again because there's so much grace and mercy in it. There's so much unmerited favor, mercy and grace in it. And like the brother prayed, and like Scripture declares, it's not of us. It's not of any of our doing or any of our righteousness. It's merely simply believing that I'm a wretched, poor deplorable sinner and God has compassion on me and sent his son to be a sacrifice for my sins could anything be more simplistic and when I passed by thee Ezekiel chapter 16 when I passed by thee and saw there it is again saw thee polluted in thine own blood I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood Live. God commended His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing how it begins with God's love? It doesn't begin, listen to me, it doesn't begin with the sacrifice. It begins with God's love. Oh, I'm telling you, we need to grasp that. God commended His love toward us. How? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. You see how it's God's love? It's God's love. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite came by, it says, by chance. They saw the half-dead man and passed on the other side. The Good Samaritan didn't by chance, but the Good Samaritan journeyed. He had a purpose. He journeyed, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Sounds like our text, huh? The Bible says when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him. He didn't go on the other side. He went to him. He bound his wound. He poured oil and wine upon him. He set him on his own beast. He brought him to the inn. He took care of him. And even paid the innkeeper and said, keep care of him until I come back. Sounds a lot like Christ, doesn't it? It's also the gospel. You see, we just don't go out by chance. We purposely go out. You listen to me? We purposely go out. We journey to the highways and the byways and the hedges. We compel them. We purposely go out. And when we, and we have compassion on them when we see them. And not only that, we go to them. And with the gospel, we seek to bind their wounds and pour in oil and wine and set them on a beast and bring him to the end. It's labor. The gospel is no easy task. It's a labor. <laughs> it's a labor of love and compassion. You want to talk about labor? You know what labor it took the Son of God to come from glory all the way down to earth, to be born of a woman, to become flesh and blood and walk amongst men for 30 some odd years, to be crucified on Calvary. That's labor, don't you think? To create the universe, it costs God nothing. To save your and I souls, it costs Him everything. Do we think the gospel is so cheap that it doesn't require us to labor? Oh, look how the Lord labored, if I could use that word. He doesn't labor. He's suffering. Everything's easy for God. But don't misunderstand that statement. Just think about your own life. Look at how the Holy Spirit, God, labored bringing you to Christ. Oh, man, when I look back on my life before I saved all the things that happened to me, all the things that was going on, man, there's a lot of times I should have been dead. God spared me. I didn't die. I was in accidents and wrecks, and I didn't die. There was things that I should have been dead. And I'm telling you, God takes me halfway across the world, puts me in a strange land, just to open my God went through a lot, and he did the same. And it wasn't a lot for God. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to mimonize God's sovereignty. Everything's easy for him. But I want you to see what he went through. And we speak of a few inconveniences when we go out and preach the gospel. <laughs> That's why I'm so thankful that Lord has led us to these flyers and get them out. And so that when we do go to the doors, we can open up and we have an opportunity. If you read this, would you like to speak about it? Let's talk about what this said. Imagine the idea, and it's terrible to think about it, but imagine the idea that Christ never came down to be a sacrifice for our sins. 
that God just simply merely left us alone. Why didn't Christ just come down born as a, as a man and, and go straight to the Calvary? Why didn't he just do that? Why did he have to suffer all that? The Bible describes him as being a man of sorrows. Why did he have to go through all that ridicule and hatred? And in the end, die alone on Calvary. Gospel is not cheap. He did all that that me and I, me and you might be saved. And now he says, now that I've done all that for you, <laughs> now you go out. Remember the man with the legion of devils? Wanted to go with Christ. I mentioned a few weeks ago as well. Wanted to follow Christ. Oh, let me get on the ship and go with you and your disciples. I want to go wherever you're at. Oh, Lord, let me be where you're at. Uh, let me be in your presence all the time. Almost like Peter saying, let us be build three temples. Be up here forever. Let me be here with you. Christ said, no, go back to your own people. The ones that put you away. The ones that put you out in the wilderness, the ones that despised and hated you, I want you to go back and tell them the great and wonderful things God has done unto them. And the Lord, you, you don't know what that's going to take. They, they banned me. They threw me out. You don't understand the things I did to them. I was possessed. I, I injured some of them. I abused some of them. I probably offended some of them. Christ said, still go back to them and tell them. Uh, Go back and tell them the wonderful things God has done for you. He saw them fainting and scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd of sight, which moved him with compassion. Yet, like I said earlier, the multitudes, like all sinful men, saw not, nor were they aware of their sinful condition. Blinded by their sinfulness and ignorance, sinful man is oblivious to his wretched, deplorable, and lost condition. They do not know. Listen to me. They do not know. Listen to me, Christian. They do not know. They're blind and ignorant because of sin. Without the preaching of the gospel of Christ, which is alone the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, sinful man will never see his wretched condition. How shall they hear unless they be sent? Right? The only thing that will help them see themselves as Christ sees them is the preaching of the gospel. That's why Christ has entrusted that task unto us. Christ said, though the harvest is plenteous, and it is plenteous. He said, the laborers are few. You know, the most amazing truth concerning the lack of such laborers and Christ's divine exhortation in regards to this lack of laborers is that he lays this burden upon his church. Think about that for a minute. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Here's the Son of God who came down and all that, gave himself as a sacrifice. 
he says in verse 37, then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. We've got a huge harvest in the world. He said, but the laborers are few. But watch how he lays the burden of this lack of labors and the fulfilling of labors on his church. Pray ye, therefore. Now, I would think Christ being the Son of God and the Father hears everything he says, Christ said it himself, that the Son would have more influence in such an intercessory prayer. Wouldn't you? I'd say, well, you're God's Son. He'll hear you. Certainly hear you. Christ says, no. I want you to pray to the Lord of Harvest that He send forth. That's thrush out. That's throw out. It's not... I'm gently calling you. Don't throw them out. Thrust them out. Drive them out. Force. Compel them. Compel them. Paul says, woe unto me unless I preach the gospel. Compel them. He puts the burden on his church. You pray. Could the reason why there's so few labors today in the world, I mean true labors of the gospel, could the problem be because God's people are not praying? It's the Lord of Harvest. something we need to think and consider. I'm hoping that through this series that we're going to be preaching in these verses, I'm hoping and praying that God would help us, instruct us even more intimately in this task of preaching the gospel so that we might be reminded, though we have the gospel in the Word of God and we have it in the Word of God, simply having the gospel according to our text, though that is sufficient to save sinners, Christ does regard those who preach it and how we do it, in what manner we do it. When he saw the multitudes, my question to us this morning and to myself is do we truly see the multitudes as Christ sees them? Were we not at one time also fainting, scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd? Did not the great compassion of Christ for our deplorable and wretched condition lift us out of our sin and despair? Do we see the multitudes as Christ sees them? Come thou fount. Jesus sought me when a stranger. wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Sitting one Sunday alone with my wife before our children were born many, many years ago, not even contemplating or thinking about God in any way, form, or fashion. Heathen rock group comes on television and blasphemes God. And I turned to my wife and said, do you believe in God? Oh yeah, she said. We thought we did. That was the moment that God began. And oh, what a journey it was. He sought me when a stranger. 
I know some people might condemn me for saying this, but I want to say it anyway. Beloved, there are sinners out there in the world that are blind and oblivious to their deplorable condition. We're not. We know what's waiting them. We know what's awaiting them if they die without Christ. And though we believe in divine election and predestination, that doesn't change anything about how we're supposed to preach the gospel. God said, go out and preach to every creature. Go out and preach it to everyone. Beloved, they shall not see unless we're sent. They shall not hear unless we preach it. They shall not see and understand their need of Christ unless someone goes and tells them. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. For God so loved the world, God wouldn't just condense it down to one nation as he did in the Old Testament. The whole world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And lo and behold, I'm with you until the end. Preach the gospel. Tell them. This is how God calls out his elect. To sit in our houses, to sit in our churches, and merely hope and pray that God sovereignly, some way, somehow, will call his own by himself is not how God has divinely ordained the gospel to be preached. God has divinely, sovereignly ordained for us to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. He closed with these thoughts. I like what Paul said uh, when he said Christ came to him in Acts chapter 26 and he's explaining this vision and what Christ told him. He said, this is what Christ told him, to open their eyes. And he saw the multitude, to open their eyes. To open their eyes. Isn't that amazing? That's the first thing Christ told Paul. I want you to go out and I want you to open their eyes. Paul, I don't have any way of opening men's eyes. I don't have to. No, you don't. But the gospel does. So therefore you preach it. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Who is? Christ said, Paul, I want you to do that. With the preaching of the gospel, I want you to go out that their eyes might be opened, they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in Christ. That's what I want you to do, Paul. That's what I want you to do, church. Take the gospel. Preach it that their eyes might be opened, that they might be turned from darkness to light. They don't know any better. They don't know any better. Sometimes, you know, when we read the news and look at people around us, our colleagues that are lost or even family members, we think, how could people even do that? Don't forget they're sinners. They're sinners. They're doing what they naturally do. They sin. Beloved, though there are strong elements of the gospel in this passage of Scripture, our Lord's greatest emphasis is on how plenteous the harvest is and how fervent His people must be in praying that the Lord of the harvest send forth labors. That's what He's emphasizing. Even though there are elements of the gospel, He's emphasizing how plenteous the harvest is and how urgent it is for us to pray that the Lord of the harvest send forth labors. That's what he's emphasized, which tells me Christ is greatly, greatly concerned how we take the gospel out. Not just taking it out. But taking them out, seeing the multitudes as Christ saw them. 
taking it out with compassion on them because they're fainting and scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. I pray that God would help us to see as Christ saw the multitudes and drive us, compel us to go out and preach the glorious gospel to those who are lost, blind, don't know any better, ignorant in sin. Tell them about Christ. May God be gracious to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you bless the reading of thy word and preaching of it to our hearts and our minds. I pray that, Father, Lord, you'd help us to know something of its power. Engrafted, I pray, into our hearts and our minds to the saving of our souls. And, Lord, I pray that you create in us a desire and a burden and a zeal like that of your own when you walk amongst men. Lord, the verses prior to these verses, Lord, we see how you went about throughout the country healing people, doing miracles, opening the eyes of the blind, raising the dead. You did so much. You labored so much. And even after all that laboring, Lord, in verse 36, you wanted the disciples and us as well to pay attention to what you saw. And that was still a multitude. A multitude that was fainting, scattered abroad, a sheep without a shepherd. Lord, I pray that you'd give us the spirit of prayer in taking these requests to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. And Lord, as we're asking you to send forth laborers, I pray that you'd give us the heart of laborers. Bless the flyers. Lord, that we've mailed out. I pray, dear God, that you'd bless your word. And Father, I pray that you'd open up effectual doors that we might, Lord, by your grace, be able to speak to others about their wonderful riches, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Lord, I pray that there be one amongst us this morning that know not Christ. I pray that, Lord, in these words this morning of Matthew chapter 9, that, Lord, they heard the words of the Good Shepherd that they'd understand that he sees, that he's aware, and that he's full of compassion. Draw men unto yourself, dear Lord, for we have no power to do it of our own. May you be honored and glorified in all we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.